All right, let's get into the Word of God this morning. If you have your, your Bibles, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time if you are able, actually. One more stretch. Hallelujah. Make sure nobody's falling asleep. We do have Bibles at the Welcome Center. Scriptures will also be up uh, on the screens. And uh, some of you have your devices and Bibles, and that's great. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14. Uh, Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for today. Uh, We thank you for what you are doing, for how you are moving in your church. Uh, We thank you for times when, Lord, you get our attention and you help us, oh God, to to, uh, redirect. If we're heading in the wrong direction, you help us to refocus. If we're distracted, you help us, Lord, to uh, be prepared to receive blessing from you, Lord, if we've stopped things up. Uh, by doubt and unbelief. Lord, you're an amazing God. And we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would speak to your people. Uh, Just have your way, God. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Keep your Bibles open to Luke 18. We're going to get there. So today we're starting a new sermon series called Holy Distortions. Holy Distortions. And I I got to tell you, when I wrote that down, uh, uh, I might be dating myself a little bit. I was thinking of Batman, the old 70s Batman, Bruce Wayne. Uh, You know, I saw kind of in my mind's eye a picture of uh, one of those uh, crazy looking bubbles, holy distortions. The idea behind this title is that sometimes we do right or good things or accomplish that in the wrong way. To add to that mindset, some people have wrongly stated that the end justifies the means. How many of you have ever heard that? It doesn't matter how you do it as long as you end up there. The end justifies the means. As a result, people have done things as followers of Christ that are really not compatible with what it means in the Bible to walk in the Spirit or being able to produce the fruit of the Spirit as the children of God. And that's why I'm calling this series Holy Distortion. Listen, if none of that makes sense to you, I'm going to simplify it even more. The Bible is full of stories where two people sometimes do the same thing, but one does it the right way and the other does it the wrong way. Like two men who who did the right thing and prayed, one did it the right way and the other did it the wrong way. Or two men who built a house. And one did it the right way, and the other one did it the wrong way. Or two men who, 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 did, uh, who did the right thing and offered up sacrifices, but one did it which way? The right way, and the other did it the wrong way. You're getting it now. You're getting it. There are also many stories where, where people who really, really tried... And so you saw their effort, you read of their efforts to do the right thing, but ended up doing it the wrong way, like King David. If you look in the Old Testament, him bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God into Jerusalem. But if you read the whole story, you know that he went about it the wrong way. Jesus is calling. Or, or when Moses tried to correct the nation of Israel, I, I can relate with Moses, I get a little bit 
uh, uh, perturbed sometimes. I get a little bit disturbed with people sometimes. And Moses, he, he tried to correct the nation of Israel because of their complaining, but he went about it the wrong way. See, it's easy to do the right thing the wrong way if you're not careful. Sadly, many people who have gone about doing the right thing the wrong way have actually done a lot of harm to the name and the cause of Christ. In fact, these holy distortions can affect your testimony. And actually, what you do may actually cause someone to be close to the gospel. And, and listen, that's not good, right? That's not good. We, when we do the right thing the wrong way, it often comes across to other people as mean-spirited or, or self-righteous. And, and even if it's not our goal and intention, we can cause more harm than good. And so we need to address it. We need to address this process by asking the Lord to help us. How many of you have ever said, Lord, help? Lord, help. We, God, we need you to help us to, to line up our words with our actions as followers of Christ. Re remember this morning that your motives and your methods should always, always, say always. Your methods and your motives should always honor God. That way your light continues to shine brightly in this very dark world. We are living in some dark times. We are living in a day when the church is being challenged, when your faith is being challenged, when, when things are happening that are out of your control. But God is wanting to move. God is wanting to use you. God is wanting to use your testimony. So don't mess it up. Don't mess it up. Today I want to talk about holy distortion with two men who prayed. And see, this is a, a story about two men who did the right thing at the right time, at the right place, but one of them did it the wrong way. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. The Bible says in Luke 18, beginning at verse 9, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee, he stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I, fa I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance. I want you to notice their posture. Stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves, listen, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Listen, the truth is praying is sometimes, it is difficult for some people. In fact, people who are new to church or who are new in their faith to, as they follow Christ, they, they kind of, sometimes they find praying intimidating. 
Especially when they hear seasoned Christians who are able to pray long and elaborate and, and very religious prayers. How many of you have heard some of those? It's just like, wow, how do you pray like that? As a pastor, people have actually admitted to me that, that they struggle with praying out loud. Others even struggle with thinking that they don't know exactly how to pray uh, in a manner that, that they would consider correctly. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to prayer. And so some people think that their prayer has to be in King James English in order to be heard. Oh, merciful God, thee, uh, thee and thou, thou art the, the master of the universe. And if thou in your mercy would just hear me, oh, now I am but your humble sir. And so you think you have to pray that way, King James. Other people think that they have to pray long and very, very theologically deep prayers to be affected. And, and still others think that they have to pray with lots and lots of scriptures to, to even get God's attention. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7 that when you pray, don't babble. When you pray, don't babble on. And on, as the Gentiles do, they think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And so rather than worrying about the exact or the right way to pray, we should be more concerned about our heart attitude when we go to prayer. Listen, our, our attitude is way more important to God than the exact words that you pray. And so pray from your heart and, and God will surely hear you. Amen. Listen, sometimes people, and I don't know, maybe you, you've been in that place where things are falling apart around you or you're in a situation where that is so out of your control and so out of your realm as far as what to do that you just don't know what to pray. You don't know how to pray. Anybody ever been there? And in those moments, sometimes all you can say is Jesus. Lord, help. Jesus. And listen, if that's all you say and it's from the heart, you got to know he hears you. He hears you. He knows your need. He knows your situation. Listen, let's, I want to unpack the contrast between these two men this morning. I, look, I want us to look at the Pharisee first. Look, look at the Pharisee. Again, very basic, straightforward. Again, verse 10 said, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector, depending on, on your translation, right? Listen, the, the, Pharisee, the, the Pharisees, they were religious, a religious political party in Israel at the time of Jesus, similar to America today where we have political parties. With one obvious difference, our political parties have pretty much separated themselves from any religious attachments. Today, we, here in America, we have Republicans, and we have Democrats, and we have Libertarians, and we have many, many others. In Jesus' day, uh, Israel had Pharisees, and they had Sadducees, and they had Zealots, and they had several others. A Pharisee was a pious or a, a devoutly religious man in his daily living. He knew the law of Moses, and he lived it to the letter. He sought to apply it, the Pharisee did, to his everyday life. He was like a hardworking church member would be today. He was a biblical fundamentalist, in our words. 
he read and, and studied the scriptures long and hard. He, he believed every word of them. But even more, he was not ashamed of the scriptures. He talked about them constantly. He's like a missionary or a church planter of uh, the missionary or the church planter of his day. See, Jewish communities scattered throughout the Asian area, throughout the Mediterranean world, were the results of the efforts of the Pharisees. Again, a Pharisee, a very religious person, wholly interested in spiritual things. He was a decent and upright person, usually had integrity. He was honest in all of his business dealings. He was also generous with his money. He gave tithes of everything he possessed. Generally speaking, a Pharisee was a good man, loyal to his synagogue. He would be welcomed in any church today. Some of you would say a good Christian. Pastor, I'm not such a good, I'm not such a good, uh, but a good Christian. One day I want to be a good Christian. In Jesus' time, the Pharisee would have been considered the good guy, the guy with the white hat. He was a synagogue leader of his town. Like I said, all Pharisees were extremely careful about obeying the Torah, and, uh, uh, which is basically the first five books of the Old Testament. They also followed the Mishnah, which explained how to obey the Torah. In addition, they followed the Talmud, which was the commentary on the Mishnah. The, these guys lived by the book. Do you get it this morning? I hope you get it. They were the religious elite. And listen, there's nothing wrong with fasting more than once a week if you're able to do it. There's certainly nothing wrong with giving more than the tithe. But the problem was, this man thought back then what a lot of people keep thinking today. He thought that his goodness, say goodness. He thought that his goodness basically gained him brownie points with God. He thought that God basically accepts a person based on what they do for him, or in other words, that he could get to heaven by his own good works. He was religious and very proud of it. That was the Pharisee. I want you to look closely at his prayer. We're going to talk about the prayer a little more, but I want you to look at those two verses, verses 11 and 12, the prayer. <clears throat> it goes something like this. I thank you, God that I am not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. This Pharisee could not see the truth because his eyes were too close together. In other words, even his prayer was a holy distortion. The tax collector, the evil tax collector. Let's look at him. Listen, the, the tax collector was very different, to say the least, right? He was, a, a tax collector was literally looked upon as a traitor to his nation and to his God. And he actually allowed himself to be used as a pawn in the hands of the enemy, which at the time was the, the Roman Empire. And so the Romans, the master passion of his life was getting to the people's money. That was his goal. That was his mission. He collected the sales tax, and, and since he was the one who decided the value of an item, uh, he, he was allowed to kind of adjust that sales tax up or down as how, however he saw fit. How many of you know that spells trouble for sure? 
See, the fact that the tax collector could arbitrarily set the tax led, led to flagrant injustices. Therefore, the tax collectors were universally hated throughout the Roman Empire by everyone. Except, of course, if you were receiving their money, right? The money they collected. Tax collectors were also hated because the taxes they collected helped to support the, the hated uh, conqueror, Rome. Whenever a Jew took a job as a tax collector, I want you to know this if you didn't know it. Whenever a Jew took a job as a tax collector, he was immediately despised by the whole community and excommunicated. He was ostracized. In fact, tax collectors were so dishonest that their testimony was not acceptable in the court of law. Listen to that. Listen to that. Their testimony not accepted in the court of law just for being a tax collector. It's interesting to note that one of Jesus' 12 disciples, right, was a tax collector. Anybody remember who that was? Matthew or Levi, right? Matthew was a tax collector who gave up his business to follow Jesus. The tax collector was basically the opposite of the Pharisee. As black is from white, and they were a bad bunch of people and so bad so bad that throughout the scripture the word tax collector was often connected with the lowest form of a sinner for example often the bible will say this phrase then the tax collectors and the sinners drawn drew near to jesus it's interesting that of all the sinful things that people did tax collecting was the one that was linked to sinners like, like uh, you don't find all the alcoholics and sinners draw, drew near to Jesus, nor do you read all the sexually immoral and sinners drew near to Jesus. Uh, and all, what we read is all tax collectors and sinners drew near to Christ. They were like at the bottom of the spiritual food chain. They were exhibit A of true sinners. Tax season is coming. Be nice. Be nice. Again, tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth, the very bottom of the religious food chain in Israel, hired by the pagan Romans. He was considered the villain. And so you can almost say that Pharisees and, and tax collectors were opposites. Listen, in this story, Jesus says, a Pharisee and a tax collector went to the temple to pray at the appointed hour. I want you to understand that they both believed in God they both prayed, but one got it right and one got it all wrong. I want you to notice that it's possible to do the wrong thing, to do, to, do, to do the right thing, but to do it the wrong way. We tend to put people into two categories, the good and the bad. God puts people in categories too, but these are his two categories, the proud and the humble. Anyone want to guess why God doesn't use good and bad categories with us, the human race? None of us are good. None of us are good. We're all sinners. And listen, for some people, the sooner that we realize that, the better it is for our lives, especially when we don't know Christ in our lives. We need to come to terms with the fact that we are not good enough. We could never be good enough. No matter how much good we think we do, it'll never be good enough. Because even one minute sin separates us from God. That's why we need Jesus, right? That's the good news. See, you, you may look good on the outside. You may do a lot of things right, 
But remember this, God looks at the heart. Before God, there is neither Pharisee nor tax collector. Before, all men, before God, all men are sinners. The only difference is that some will admit it and others don't. That's what this parable is all about. See, the danger of being prideful and self-righteous is that if you're in it, you can't see it. And so the Pharisee was so proud of his goodness and righteousness that he was blind to the fact that he was still a sinner. The tax collector, on the other hand, he knew that he was messed up. He knew that he was broken, and he was actually willing to admit it to God. I want to unpack the, the contrast between the two prayers. Read it already. I, I'll read it again. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. Listen, in just those two verses, he mentions himself five times. So this prayer is really all about himself, me, myself, and I. The Pharisee, he had no eye on God. He had no real connection with God. At best, he may have glanced at God, but surely God was not the focus of his daily prayers. See, he had religion. He had form. He had ritual. He had what might look good on the outside, but in his heart of hearts, he was dry. He was dead. He was blind. How do we know this? See, whenever a soul gets a vision of God, a sense of sin always follows. Follow me. Listen, when, when the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord in the Old Testament, high and lifted up, he at once saw himself as a man of unclean lips when he came into the presence of God. When there is no sense of sin, we may be perfectly sure that there's no sense of God. And so most of his prayers, prayer was a, a negative goodness. He's literally bragging about all that he does not do. Even his fasting is a boast about what he does not do. He does not eat. The only real good that he does is that he gives tithes. And listen, don't miss the comparison phrase at the beginning of this prayer in verse 11 where he says, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, and adulterers. I wasn't going to do this, but... We read the scripture plain. This is the Pharisee. Wow, he's bad. Wow, he thinks rather highly of himself. Sometimes we think highly of ourselves to the detriment of others. Sometimes we, in trying to be spiritual and trying to boost uh, our, our, uh, uh, you know, our impact and trying to boost our ministries and trying to boost what we do in this life, we, we uh, make it a habit of maybe putting others down. And, and in a sense, you, you may not say it with your words, but with your actions, you, you're kind of saying, thank God I'm not like them. Look at me, God. Look at what I've achieved. Look at what I've done. 
the Apostle Paul addresses this type of comparison in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 where he says, when they measure themselves by themselves, it's the latter portion of verse 12, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they lack wisdom and behave like fools. I... I, I when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they lack wisdom and behave like fools. Listen, if you look hard enough, you might be a fool yourself, but you can find someone who's a little foolish, a, more, a little more foolish than you are, and that gives you the opportunity to maybe have the upper hand. And again, you're not saying it with your words, but you might say it with your life. God, I am so glad that I am not like them. I am so glad that I have your blessing. And wow, look at them. They just seem like they're in one curse after the other. I wonder what sins they're involved in. Don't be a fool. Basically, looking down on other men, elevating ourselves by pointing out the mistakes or the shortcomings of others is deceptive. And listen, we need to be careful of this. Let's look at what Jesus says a good prayer looks like. Let's, let's go to the, the evil tax collector. The first thing that stands out is how raw and honest this prayer is. When people say, Pastor, I don't know how to pray, I say, listen, just like you're talking to me, just talk to God. You mean there's no right words, right or wrong? No, 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 just talk to God from your heart. Honest. Be honest. In this prayer, this tax collector's prayer is raw. It's honest. It was brokenhearted prayer. He was saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. It was this brokenhearted prayer that actually won him acceptance with God. In Psalm 34 and verse 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescue the, rescues those whose spirits are crushed. In Psalm 51, 17, we read, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. In this simple prayer, the, the tax collector, he claimed no superiority. He knew he needed God's forgiveness and his mercy, and he wasn't focused on anyone else. His prayer was really a confession of sin, right? I mean, he has not only done wrong, but he is wrong. He's making absolutely no excuses for it. And listen, this is key to the right kind of prayer. As long as we continue to offer excuses for our sin, we have not been fully convicted of our sins. The tax collector knows he is guilty as charged. Listen, without the mercy and the grace of God, without Jesus, essentially, you and I are guilty as charged. His prayer was also short and to the point. This is literally a seven-word prayer. He, he was not praying to impress people. He was praying to get God's attention, and he did. You can also see that the tax collector saw that he was in need of God. How often we come to church, how often we gather with no sense of need. We just come to, to see our friends. We come maybe because we're supposed to or we come because that's just what we do. How often do we come to church because we're in desperate need of a great God who forgives? Next in this prayer, 
Again, notice that his eye was on God. His eye was not wandering like he could have prayed, well, I'm a sinner, it's true, but even then I'm a saint in comparison to that old sanctimonious bonehead standing over there extolling his virtues. No, this tax collector did not want to compare himself to anyone. See, for him, this prayer was only between him and his God. He's not putting on a show. He's not strolling in a parade. He knew he was in need. Worship team, come. Listen, this is essentially the sinner's prayer. See, when a person prays a sinner's prayer, he's justified. Justified means to be free. To declare or pronounce one to be just or righteous, to be forgiven. And Jesus said that this tax collector was justified after hearing his seven-word prayer. Holy distortions. Listen, if we're not careful, it is very possible to do the wrong thing, the right thing, the wrong way. Not just with prayer, but this is also true with reading the Bible, with going to church, with giving money, or helping someone out in everyday life. Your motive and your methods are important. What caused this problem? How did this Pharisee miss the way? See, there's a, a clear and present danger in being religious. He, he reads his Bible, he, he prayed, he tithed, he went to church. These are all good and right things. But they did not help the Pharisee for the simple reason that he made them an end in and of themselves. See, the Pharisee could say, I, I did it. I did this. I did that. It's not a question of how many chapters we read in the Bible each day. It's not a question of how many minutes or hours we spend on our, on our knees. How's your heart? It, it, it's not even a question of how many ser services we attend or of how many sermons we hear. The question is, what are you doing with those things? Are they helping you to get to know Jesus better? Are we more patient? Are we more cheerful? Are we more loving? Are we more courageous because of them? Do they send us out like a new man refreshed to love his fellow man? See, they had the opposite effect on this Pharisee because he made those things the end goal instead of intimacy with God. Remember, if you get nothing else, remember, the, our goal is to get close to God through our obedience and a life of worship. Fully surrendered. That means your life, a, a, a living sacrifice, a life lived for Jesus. Holiness is the path we follow to get there. Holiness is also the result of being there, but holiness in and of itself is not the goal. In fact, holy living can easily become a point of pride that can kill our spirituality. I've been saved 30 years. That's all you need to know. But you act like the devil, and you're nasty. 
and I've heard you talk about my friend. And I've heard what you've said about this and that. This parable is about humility. Uh, we must always be careful of th that pride might be creeping in to steal the blessings of God. Remember, pride is the only sickness everyone can recognize except for the person who has it. Stay humble. Be aware of holy distortions. The Lord wants us to do the right things at the right time in the right way so that we can draw closer to Jesus daily as we surrender to our Heavenly Father. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we recognize that we are not perfect. We recognize we're all at different stages. Some have been saved for many, many years. Some are newly saved. Some are just kind of in that in-between. They know about church. They know about you. They know about your word. But maybe they haven't made a commitment to intimacy. Father, wherever you find your children this morning, I pray that our hearts would be open to doing the right things in the right way for your glory. I pray that you would help us to check ourselves, God, when we get off course, when we say things, Lord, that are, are not pleasing unto you, when we say things that we're ashamed of, that if other people hear, we might be embarrassed by those words. Help us, God. Holy Spirit, convict us. Help us, Lord. We want to live for you. Yes, we want to live holy. Yes, we want to live righteous. We want to do it for you. We want, we want to be honest. We want to be real. We want to know, Lord, that you are pleased by the words of our mouth and by the life that we live. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's close in worship.